We're going to be talking about God's answer to witchcraft and the curse. Now, some people living under our new covenant have never even heard about spiritual warfare. I had a lot of good foundational truths about salvation, but I'd really never been taught anything about the demonic realm. I'd never heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or that there was anything that that the Lord could give us that would give us the bonus and the power to live victoriously for him. But just a few years now after Jack and I married, a Buddhist woman moved into the apartment complex right behind us where we were living, and she was really strange. Now, to be honest, I don't even know if I'd ever heard the term spiritual warfare at that time. But this Buddhist lady kept her house very dark. She was constantly burning real weird-smelling incense and seldom came outside. I very seldom saw her. But every time I'd get close to her apartment, fear would just come all over me. And I felt like I needed to witness to her, but I literally felt terrified to go and knock on her door. And I thought, why? What am I afraid of, you know? I didn't know that it was the it was demonic warfare. I didn't know that. But I didn't want her to go to hell. So finally, I made myself go knock on her door. And I told her that I wanted to come in for a moment and tell her about Jesus. And she said, okay, that'll be fine if you'll give me equal time. Well, I didn't know any. I didn't have any authority at that time. I didn't even know about authority. I had no idea what I was getting into, nor do I remember one thing that she said to me. I only remember that I finished in just a few minutes, and then she began to tell me about her religion. And the only thing that I honestly remember hearing her say was that I needed to keep an open mind. Well, I've often said that I kept such an open mind that my brain fell out, and I didn't find it for a number of years later. But I honestly don't remember anything else she said. But obviously, something had penetrated my my brain because while she was talking, my mind started reeling so hard and so fast that I, I just became confused and disoriented, you know, just standing there. I, I, I felt like I was going to fall over. I couldn't imagine what was going on in my head. I felt like that the room was spinning out of control. Well, spiritual warfare manifests in a lot of different ways, and I was experiencing that warfare without having any idea what was going on. Now, my only conscious thought was to get out of this Buddhist woman's apartment as fast as I could. You know, I just, I was trying to just get out. I knew I was in the presence of evil, and it was something that I'd never experienced before. I'd never gone through something like this. Now, there were absolutely no physical restraints on me, but I felt just as helpless as if I'd been in chains. Now, my throat started constricting and until I felt like I was choking, and doubts of all kinds began to bombard my mind. And I, I couldn't get rid of the hold that it had on my brain. Now, people have often asked me since then, what did it feel like? Well, it felt like I went under a spell, uh, and it felt like I was just no longer in control of my thoughts. It was like something or somebody else had control of my brain. I'd find myself just sitting in a chair many times, just staring at the wall, and for long periods of time, horrible what-if thoughts began coming and taking over my mind. What if there's no God? You know, what if the God I serve is not the right one? What if Jesus is not real? I'd never had thoughts like that before in my life, and I couldn't figure out what on earth was going on. It, It literally felt like I was going crazy. Now, fear had never been anything that I had dealt with that much when I was young. But since the attack, I had been engulfed in fear constantly. Now, when this first happened, I couldn't find a pastor who had an answer for what I was going through. So I ended up in a psychiatrist's office, and I spent the next number of years just trying on my own to try to get back to normal. I had found myself in deep spiritual warfare without having any idea what was happening. 
Now, I knew there was a devil, but I knew nothing uh, about his tactics. I'd never been taught anything about him. I, I knew nothing about spiritual warfare or how it could have such a stronghold on a person's mind. I'd never even thought about those kinds of things. Now, during those eight years, I tried everything I could think of to get myself set free. And, but there was just no let up. In fact, I would spend hours in the public library just studying every foreign religion, not to see if I could find the right one. Now, I was trying to disprove all the other religions in an effort to prove that Jesus was real. And I was so distraught with myself because I had never questioned the Lord before. That had never been anything I'd ever done. He had been the love of my life since I was a child. But even in all the torment, God had been there all the time, and he was working to set me free. Later, I could look back and see how he had, had worked. But I couldn't find him anywhere. I felt like I was completely lost from him. Well, I was fighting these demonic attacks with everything in me, but all of my effort now had been with my mind and with my intellect. And the harder I tried to prove Jesus, the more confused I became. Now, this type of demonic attack is always in the mind and it's in the emotions. And one never gets free from this bondage until they get out of their intellect and get into the spirit. Now, the starting place to get free is actually so very simple. When I finally just came to the end of myself, I, I just, I tried everything I needed to do, and I just flat gave up. I remember going outside and looking up into the heavens, and I said, Lord, I give up. I've tried everything I know to do, and nothing is working. If you're there, will you find me and bring me back to you? Well, that was all God was waiting for. He was waiting for me to give up and turn back to him. And it was unbelievable because within eight days after that, God supernaturally had me in, in uh, New Orleans where I was learning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something I'd never heard of in my life. I'd never even heard the term. And God had me find Pat Boone's book, A New Song, describing how they prayed for all these people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then, without anyone there to tell me what to do, I cried out to God, and He baptized me supernaturally in His Holy Spirit and gave me a prayer language. I'd never heard of a prayer language, you know, but here I had my prayer language, and I, I can't even tell you how happy I was. It was like uh, just a burst of happiness was on the inside. I, I thought I was just, uh, I wanted to run outside and just run hollering and laughing, you know. I had searched desperately with my mind for eight years to be free, and I'd never found an answer. And, but when I finally gave up all my mental searching, and when I finally turned it over to Jesus, that one time right outside near my clothesline, I remember that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with nobody else around. Now, afterwards, a deliverance minister told my husband to fast for three days and three nights, and the two of them would pray for me. So my husband's first deliverance was me. <laughs> I, I, I trained him <laughs> in deliverance, and he had a wild one with me. Uh, but they called out spirits now of mental torment. They called out all kinds of spirits of fear and reasoning and panic and doubt. And they called out what's interesting, vain imaginations of what ifs, because that was what I was constantly doing. You know, what if this? What if this should happen? Or what if that should happen? But I was miraculously delivered and set free that night. Then the next step God gave me was simple, but it was so miraculous because it showed me how to keep my deliverance. And what I'm going to be telling you next is so important. 
God impressed me to find scriptures and to write them out in a notebook to combat every negative thought and every negative fear that I had been experiencing for all those years. And he said, and the Lord showed me that would start renewing my, my thought life and it would put truth in me. Every fear and every doubt that came, God had me say what the word said instead. And the, the, a fear would come and by this time, I'd been doing this for months. I'd spent months doing this. So by this time, I, I had these scriptures written down. And I, even if I was in fear, I would say what the word said, and the fear would leave. And I did this to answer every negative thing. And I had negative thoughts coming to me 24 hours a day at that time. But God had an answer for every one of them. And finally, God gave me the next step to get me to the next truth that completely turned my life around and gave me the power that I needed to win. He gave me a dream, and the dream was supernatural. I was out in this open field, and I was asking the same question that I'd prayed earlier. I had said, Lord, in the dream, uh, is there any way to be protected from all the evil that we see coming on the earth? And in my dream, I heard the words, in your day of trouble, call on me and I will answer. Well, I didn't have any idea if those words were in the Bible, but boy, I knew they were from God because joy just began just exploding out of me. And when I heard that, I knew that I knew that it was going to be okay. I didn't know what the answer was. But to my surprise, that I looked and I had been alone with the Lord in the dream. But all of a sudden, the field started filling up with people. And I looked, and at first there were just a few people added, and then I looked and they kept being added until finally they went so far I couldn't see the end of them. And I kept turning around, and in every direction, the field had filled up with all these people. And we were all thanking and praising God together, just rejoicing. I, I remember thinking, have I ever been this happy before? I, I, it just, I was blown away. Well, when I woke up, I knew I had the answer. Peace like warm oil just poured all over me. I knew the dream was supernatural, but I wasn't quite sure exactly what the answer was. I remember saying, Lord, that dream was so wonderful, but, but I don't really remember what the answer was. And I just knew that I had this, this supernatural joy, and that was all that I cared about right at the moment. Uh, but it wasn't until the next day that I heard for the first time the 91st time just mentioned on a teaching tape. And suddenly I knew in my heart that whatever was in that psalm was God's answer to the questions that I'd been asking. Now, I didn't have any idea what that psalm was about. Yeah, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever read through the psalms at that time because this was some 50 years ago. But I knew that if it told me to stand on my head in the corner, I knew it was going to work, you know. And I nearly tore my Bible up turning to Psalm 91 to see what it said. And there it was in verse 15, the exact statement that God had had spoken to me in my dream. I could hardly believe my eyes. Psalm 91 verse 15, he said, he will call upon me in his day of trouble and I will answer. I tell you what, you should have seen me when I realized that there in that one Psalm were the answers to all the questions that I'd been asking him. And I knew that all the events leading up to getting me to Psalm 91 were as miraculous as anything I'd ever experienced before. Now, I began to study Psalm 91 as though my very life depended on it. And for months and months, I, I researched every word. I would read it and I'd take word, even the common words, and I researched every one of them. 
Now, I won't actually be teaching Psalm 91 at this time because you can get my book, Psalm 91, God's Umbrella of Protection, or you can listen to my podcast on Psalm 91, and they'll explain it in detail. But I just want to say that it's one of the most powerful gifts that God has ever given to us. And it's so instrumental now in giving us victory over every demonic attack that can come. And uh, the, I just said, Lord, how did you put it all in just, just this few little verses? It's amazing to me how God can give us so much information, so much revelation in just a few, in just a few words. And it's God's supernatural answer now to all the answers, all the heartaches now that people experience in this life. And he also showed me that Psalm 91 was his supernatural covenant. He said, this is more than just words on a page. This is a covenant that would take care of every attack and every single need that anyone could ever possibly have. Now, only a short time before that, God had given me deliverance and victory over the fears and the sicknesses and diseases, uh, over everything that had been tormenting me. But now for the first time, God showed me that Psalm 91 was even more than that. It was the next step. Psalm 91 was my first step for understanding spiritual warfare. And it gave me promises that I could stand on when I was under heavy assault. And I'd been under a lot of heavy assault for the last few years. It was protection now from things that didn't that I didn't even know existed before. Now, the next thing I'm going to explain is very important. Next, God showed me that there were actually two kinds of demonic spiritual warfare. And he said the first kind of deliverance was what I had personally experienced from just fears and, and oppression and depression and torment. And that's the kind of demonic attacks that most people deal with. And he showed me that these were the things that most people want to get rid of because they bother us. Now, a person may not always do what they need to do to get their deliverance, but deep down, there is that desire to want to be free from these things. Nobody wants these things. But next, God was revealing to us that there is a second type of demonic spiritual warfare that we call witchcraft. Now, this type of spiritual warfare manifests differently than the first type. It's different from all the fears and the depression and the torment that we want rid of. Witchcraft actually comes through another person, and it gets a stranglehold on the second person that they can't seem to break free from. Even when they realize that it's doing them damage, sometimes they, they just feel like they can't get out from under it. It's a bondage that makes you feel tied to that person so emotionally that you feel like it's almost impossible to turn them loose. Now, you actually don't want to turn them loose. Even when you see that they're not healthy for you and they are, in fact, doing you harm, this witchcraft spirit has such a hold on you that you think you don't have the power to get free from it. And that's what's meant when you hear someone say, well, they have a witchcraft hold on that person. I had heard that phrase a lot of times, but finally I understood it. That's what it meant that when a person has a witchcraft hold on them. Sadly, there are a lot of people who have learned to use this spirit to their advantage, and that's what's really sad, because there's a difference between using Jesus' name and casting out spirits that you want rid of. That there's a difference between that and someone using this demonic witch trap to get what they want. And that's what's happening That uh, in a lot of places, and we need to understand that. We need to uh, be aware of this. And these people use this witchcraft spirit to control and to manipulate. Now, when witchcraft is working, the person under the witchcraft hold, uh, they can't seem to break loose from the person who is controlling them. 
you know. And the only way we've found for that witchcraft stronghold to be broken is for the person who's under the spell to come to a place where they actually renounce the person who has that hold over them. And, and I really want to say that again because I want you to hear it. They have to renounce the person through which that witchcraft is coming. And sadly, most of the time, when you're under that, you feel completely powerless to do that. Now, we've seen this demonic spirit manifest in dating relationships. When one has a witchcraft hold over the dating partner, many times the one being controlled knows the relationship's wrong. They know something's not right, but they feel powerless to break free. Okay, now let me give you some other examples. When God called me to start teaching His Word some 50 years ago, we were working with people who were fighting what we call normal fears. They were fighting the fear of cancer, the fear of other diseases, the fear of broken marriages. So at that time, uh, at the time of my deliverance, I didn't know about the need that other people had to be delivered from witchcraft. That, that was all new to me. I didn't understand it. Now, I'd heard the terms, but I had never given that much thought to it because I really didn't know for sure what those terms meant. But recently, God has brought more and more people in our pathway who are caught up in this satanic witchcraft. Like I said, when somebody's in this type of bondage, it's always another person involved through whom the witchcraft is operating. Now, some people may not always be aware that they're operating in witchcraft, but they are aware that they're putting a strong pull on another person, and they know it's not godly. They know deep down that, that what they're doing is not right. Now, if you are the one being controlled, at first you may not even know that you're being controlled until you get caught in the web. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example. There was a very well-to-do uh, worldly couple in town who ran, ran a very successful business, and suddenly they got a divorce, and soon the wife started coming to our church. Now, she was obviously hurting. She was emotionally distraught. And our first inclination was to reach out and, and start ministering to her, which, of course, was the right thing to do. But she seemingly had no one to turn to. So as the pastor's wife, I reached out and I began to make her feel welcome. I did everything I could to, to make her know that we wanted her there. And then she started calling me, not just a few times a day. She started calling me many times a day. But I, I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, these calls are understandable. Everything's new to her. So when I started feeling uh, that I was spending way too much time with her than I should, uh, I, I excused the feeling by thinking, well, she ob obviously needs help, and I'm the only one she has at the moment. So I just kind of dismissed the, those thoughts. Well, I made sure that I was keeping up with my ministry duties, but I still felt that I was giving her an extra amount of time, more time than I was giving to other people that I was ministering to. But she was coming out of her depression, so I justified the time I was giving. Now, she had money and she wanted to travel, so without my knowledge, she asked Jack if she could take me on a cruise. Well, I, I wasn't... I was not a bit comfortable when I found out that Jack had agreed to my going. And later I asked him, Jack, why did you give her permission to take me? And he said, well, I realized I would never be able to take you on a nice trip like that. And so I felt like it was wrong for me to keep you from going. You know, well, I felt trapped into going on that trip. But finally, for fear of hurting her feelings, I, I agreed. Now, when we told our prayer partners about the trip, uh, I could tell they were shocked that I had consented to go. Uh, they didn't say anything, but I could tell by the look on their faces. Now, that should have been a clue for me to take a second look at my decision. 
But instead of hearing God, what I did, I, I thought I couldn't back out at this late date because she was so excited about the trip. And so I thought, it, it's too late for me to back out. But nothing should make our decisions except what God's telling us to do. And I learned that in, in a hurry. It doesn't matter how much obligation we're feeling toward another person. Nothing should make our decisions except after we've heard from God. But I, I didn't really think about it that at the time, and so I went. Now, after we got on the way, she continually came up reasons to make the trip last just a little bit longer. And my emotions were constantly churning. You know, the more time we were spending, I was constantly churning. And even though, you know, it didn't take me down, I remember thinking that some of those old emotional tormenting feelings were gnawing at the door, you know. And so uh, I spent a good bit of warfare time when I was alone, getting that fear and that anxiety off of me because I wanted to keep the door to the enemy closed. Now, this was before cell phones. And so on the way to the ship, we traveled by train, and they would stop for two minutes at each stop and let people get off and on the train. So every time they stopped, there was always a telephone booth right there by the stop, and I would jump off and try to complete a call to Jack, you know, to let him know. And it never worked. And people sitting by us on the train, they didn't want me to miss getting back on. And so they were so sweet, they'd stand at the door and help pull me back on the train just as we'd start to leave the station. But never once was I successful in putting that call through. Now, you can imagine what Jack was feeling without hearing anything from me for that long. You can imagine what was going on. But God was faithful, and I was able finally to reach him with one call. That's all I had, but one call they allowed me to make from the captain's quarters on the ship. Now, the cruise was enjoyable, but I realized later, since she and I had separate rooms, I, I realized after we got back off the trip that she was entertaining a guest at night. And uh, I was so thankful. I said, Lord, thank you that I didn't find that out on the trip. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but the whole experience had a witchcraft hold. And when I started realizing that I was in its grip, guilt just came all over me. And uh, I, I just kept trying to get rid of the guilt. Now, that was the first time I realized how witchcraft works when it involves another person. The enemy seems to always try to make you feel guilty about something. And what happens, the guilt keeps you from hearing God how to break it off. Now, even though the trip was very nice and anyone would have enjoyed it, witchcraft always does its damage. It broke up the relationship we had with the other pastors. And she ended up financing a split of our church. And then after she did that, she quickly left. Well, I mean, you can imagine that, that, was, that was pretty hard. Later, sadly, I realized that all the help that I thought I was giving her seemingly had no lasting effect. But my eyes were finally opened, and it helped me to see witchcraft situation in other people that I had never realized before. And I started seeing what people were going through, you know. Now, this was the second time I came under this witchcraft attack. The first time, it was with the Buddhist lady, and, but I was young, and, and I didn't know to armor up back then. But this second time, when I came under this witchcraft hold, it was under someone who was very controlling. And that's a hint for you to know. When somebody is controlling, you need to watch for it. With witchcraft, you have to become aware when another person has a hold on you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a hold that appears to be a sin. And that's how 
a witchcraft can get through to Christians who really want to please God. And that's what makes it so hard to recognize. But any time, anything that controls you, that control is going to grow and it's going to distract you from what God's calling you to do. Now, I thank God for the lesson that it taught me because it gave me a very valuable experience to work with other people who needed to get out from under similar witchcraft holds. Now, this is important. People can sometimes find themselves in a very serious, sinful situation when, when they're under the witchcraft. And that happens often. But the ones that are hard to detect are the other times that that hold is just keeping you from doing something that God's calling you to do. You know, you don't think about it as sin. But in either case, it is sin because it's outside of God's will. Now, this is the danger. We've worked with people who were in a situation that was totally unhealthy, and they knew it, and they wanted free. They'd even say that they wanted free. But witchcraft is different. Witchcraft causes the person not to be able to turn loose of the one that has the hold on them. And we've worked with a number of people, that, and they, they know they need to turn loose. They just can't seem to make themselves do it. And as it grows, the stronghold gets stronger until the witchcraft becomes obsessive and it can cause a lot of damage. One man we worked with knew the girl that he was with was absolutely not right for him, but he just couldn't break up with her. Well, he later told us that the feeling that kept him bound to her, he said it felt like a death grip in the physical realm. He said no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't make himself turn loose. He said that the, the restraints, he said it actually felt like a chain around me. As we have entered now into difficult times, the demonic evils that have been hidden for the most part, they're now being exposed everywhere. So many of these things were happening, but they were hidden. The, the average person, the average Christian didn't see them. But that's not the case today. They're being exposed everywhere. But God has revealed now, as more and more evil is being exposed, Thank God at the same time, he's showing us that more and more of his supernatural protection and his power is being offered to us. But we have to receive it. We have to take it and put it to work. And we have to choose to take advantage of it. Now, God has created a way for us to actually be spiritually protected from the demonic realm. He's given us a way to be protected from witchcraft, from the occult attacks, and from all the powers of darkness that are threatening. And God showed me exactly how important it is for us to make a stand and do that. Now, I had exchanged being led by the Spirit to instead being led, led by soulish compassion. And so many people, they think they're doing the right thing because... Uh, their soulish compassion is causing them to reach out and, and try to help someone. But if they're not doing it by the Spirit of God, it can do more damage than good. We have to realize that there are people today who are being motivated by their own selfish desires. Therefore, we've got to rely on God's spiritual discernment. We have to have that discernment because not everyone is necessarily coming from a desire to please God. That used to surprise me. I thought everybody deep down wanted to please God, but that's not the case with everybody. I had been spending a great deal of time with this lady. I was teaching her the word. I, I was giving her all kinds of good things, but not discerning, that was not her motivation. That really wasn't what she was after. So we have to be aware that if we're operating from a false obligation, just to please the person rather than pleasing God, or if we're being driven by a spirit of control coming from that other person, it can take us completely away from the plan and purposes of God. And it can do it when 
in our heart, we think we're really trying to please God. We're, we're telling God every day, I want, I want to please you. I want to do your will. But if we're not watching for this, uh, this control, it can pull us out of God's pathway. Now, our desire to do it God's way has to be stronger than the obligation that we may feel to that other person. Our desire to please God has to be more than our being motivated now by a spirit of control. It has to be more than uh, the obsession to people please, you know. Otherwise, we'll become a slave to the spirit. Now, these traits in a person don't just go away. You know, we'd like to think they would. In fact, they increase in strength. When a person's operating under a spirit of control, if they don't do something about it, it will increase. Now, the reason they don't go away is because we have unconsciously put our agreement now with the spirit, and we've given that spirit legal right. We've given it permission. It's not, it's not the Lord giving it permission, and it's not even the enemy giving it permission. We're the one giving permission. Now, this is important. One must go back and break his agreements with the control and with anything else now that is not of God. If you fail to see what you got into the witchcraft, how, how you got into that control, and you fail to renounce it, that witchcraft will come against you over and over until you recognize uh, what it is that, uh, that's causing you to be susceptible now to the things of the enemy. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you'll go down the same wrong path, thinking that you're doing the right thing. You, you know, you'll be building yourself up spiritually, maybe. But if you're not hearing God to get it broken off of you, and you'll get trapped again. And deep down, if you're honest, you always know deep down that something's wrong. I think it's interesting. We can rationalize and we can say, now, this is the right thing to do. I know this is what uh, I should be doing. This is, uh, this is very spiritual. But down on the inside, in your Holy Spirit, the, when you're going down the wrong path, there's always something that's just a little bit twisted where you think, mm, I don't know what this is. And sometimes we don't pay attention to it. But that's what we have to learn. You're going to have an uh-huh inside your spirit or an uh-uh. And there's that little uh-uh, and it's pretty quiet. It's, uh, you know, when, when you're doing what you think you're supposed to be doing, you overlook it, you quit listening to it, but it's there. And if we'll listen for it, then the Holy Spirit will see to it that we hear it. But when the person is doing wrong things without realizing it, you're in agreement, not because you're in agreement with their wrongdoing, but because you're in agreement with that person who is in the willful sin. And you're subconsciously then condoning it. Now, there comes a time when God is saying, rise up and say no, and start walking them out of it. And, and, and we can. Uh, a lot of times... They're not wanting to be in it either if we really talk to them and work with them. But we have to be sure God's leading us to do that because we can't know what's inside their heart. Some of them are wanting to be set free and other people are not. So we have to hear God. Those things don't just go away. In fact, they increase in strength as time goes by. And by not saying anything, what we've done, we've subconsciously put our agreement with them and we, we've, we've given it the right, those spirits the right. So go back and break your agreements. Witchcraft will come at you over and over until you recognize what is causing you to be susceptible. There's always something that causes us to be susceptible. Sometimes it's people-pleasing. It can be a, a number of different things. And we have to go before the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, I don't want this. I've been through this too many times. Show me what it is in me that makes me susceptible to that spirit. And then consciously break the cycle 
by repenting. That's a, a secret word that's so important. You can't break that cycle any other way except by truly repenting for what you've done. So be honest with yourself. Each time you think you're doing the right thing, you know, yet get trapped, deep down, you know something's wrong. But if you'll be open to the Lord, he'll show you where you're in agreement with that person, and it's keeping that door open to the enemy. You know you're not in agreement with their willful sin. So when, when you know you're not in agreement with their willful sin, it makes you feel okay. You, you think, oh, well, I would never do that. You know, that's something I'd never do. But we have to recognize the problem is that we're permitting, we're, we're allowing it. And you're in agreement with the one who is in agreement with the willful sin. Now, I've looked back many, many times at the word intention, and I, I want us to really think about that. It's hard to believe that from a knock on a door, I would find myself losing eight years of my life after I had gone in to witness to her with good intentions. It was the best intentions. I didn't want to go, but I had good intentions because I wanted her to get saved. So I want you to think about that word intention. It's hard to believe that making a close friendship with a controlling lady could have ended up in a broken church where she stayed in control and got the last word, even though I had ministered with her with good intentions. She was the one who set the agenda and the itinerary, and I didn't win over her spirit of control. I just put up with it, and the fruit eventually showed up. Now, too often, we're just sort of impressed with our good intentions. It's really careful. It's really uh, a bad thing, but a lot of people are very impressed with their good intentions instead of spending time in prayer until we allow the Holy Spirit now to show us the things that we have to know in order to win in these end days. It's different now than it was a generation or two ago. Our good intentions are not good enough, and that's where the church misses it. We don't hold each other accountable, and many times we don't allow ourselves to be held accountable. But God is saying now, it's not too late. He's saying that if we will learn from our mistakes and determine to change from our old ways, you know, then he can come in and he can begin working with us. We're all in a, in a new season. And to survive and overcome what's coming, we're going to find out that we're going to have to change from our old ways. We're going to have to change and now be led constantly by his Holy Spirit. We can quit being led by his Holy Spirit for just a few minutes and boy, our old reasoning comes in, and our good intentions come in, and we find ourselves way away from God's purposes and, and God's will. But this is God's timing for us. He's saying, he's, he's telling us, he's giving us answers, and the answers really are simple. They're really simple, but we have to put them to work. We have to do it God's way, not our old way of doing it. We've all reasoned our intentions and made them good. You know, they sound so good to us. But we've got to come now to a place where we say, Lord, I put all that aside. That's all sin. And I just want to be led by your spirit. And Father, that is my prayer for all of our Christians in these end days. We have to put away our good intentions. We have to put away our reasoning. And we have to put away our, our deciding on our own what's good and what's wrong. And Father, we have to be so in tune to your Holy Spirit that at every turn, we have to say, okay, Lord, what's going on here? What do you want me to do? And allow the Lord then to show us things that pretty much are hidden until we allow the Holy Spirit to say, 
go this way. Don't go this way. There's a problem in this direction. We've got to start hearing God. And rather than going by our reasoning, we have to come to a place where we say, Lord, I want to please you every moment of every day. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.